Last week we, uh, we picked up out of verse number 4 in chapter 18 what I consider to be one of the um, primary calls of the revelation. And uh, just by way of review, if you weren't here last week, there's this word that I really want you to hear and just kind of let it live inside of you because it's meant to, all right? The revelation is meant to create these pictures inside of us that just won't go away. And this is, this is the, the voice uh, that John hears when he's, he's in heaven and he's looking at the fact that God is bringing all things to a close. And he hears this verse, this voice come out of heaven, and this is what the voice says, ex alphate, ex alphate, okay? And that's the word that I want you to just let stay in your ears and let it kind of grip down inside of you. And last week, we kind of pulled that word apart. The, the first part of it is ex or ek, which means to, to, to go out, right? Elthete means to, to come. And so the call of this voice is, come out of her. What's her? Well, as we've been looking at it, the her that, that this voice is calling God's people out of is, is culture, and in particular, the culture that's lifted up by the political machinery of our day and age, right? And then supported, actually, by the, re the religious side of things. Come out of her. Interestingly, we looked at this last week, the word for, for church in the New Testament has this same connotation. Uh, it's actually two Greek words that are put together. The first part of it is the same as, as the word that we just heard, come out of. Well, the first per part of the word church in the Greek language is ek, or out of. Okay? The second part of it is klesia. Klesia is a verb that means to be called. And so if, if I said, what is a church? The church is that body of people on earth that God says, I'm calling you out, out of the world. Come out of it, right? And um, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to just separate ourselves from the rest of the world and not live in it because God says, no, you're going to live in it. You are in the world, okay? Um, you, when you look back at history and you... you look at, at some of the patterns of, of people that have become deeply spiritual or religious. Um, there have been eras in, of time where people within the ecclesia, the called outs, have believed that our, our responsibility is to literally remove ourselves from culture. Just get out of it completely. Okay? Um, so you have monasticism, right? The monks that say, we're not going to live in culture anymore. We're going to separate ourselves. We're going to make ourselves look physically different. We're going to practice a lifestyle that's different. We're getting out of it. It's not God's calling. It's not what he asked us to do. He actually says, you are in the world. You're just not supposed to be of the world. I think the hardest part of what it means to live out our Christianity in our world today is to really take hold of of this right here. What does it mean for me to say, yeah, I'm in the world, but I am not going to be of it? Part of me always recognizes the truth that I am a product of culture. I, there's no way for you and I as human beings literally to just separate ourselves from the culture that we're in. But to not be of culture, in my mind, means that we live a life 
that allows this, the Holy Spirit enough room in our, our lives, in our regular day-to-day living, that we begin to make different choices. Choices that are different than the way the world is going. We say no when the rest of the world says yes, and we look different. When I stand up as a, as a pastor today, in our culture, both those in culture and those of the church look at me like I'm insane when I'm, the, I'm one of the few voices out there saying, I do not believe that the decision our Supreme Court made to allow for same-sex marriages is of the will of God. I'm weird. You're weird to believe that. Our culture and the, and the church culture both look at you and say, what? Come on, these people, they love each other. They were made by God that way. Just let it, let it be. I go, no. No, 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 no. For me to let it be would be cruel, heartless, act on my part because I'm looking at two people that I care about and I care enough about them to tell them what? The truth. And if I don't tell them the truth, guess what? I'll fit in with culture, but I don't care about those people. I do care about them. And so I'm going to tell them the truth, right? For us to, to be in the world but not of the world, we begin to make different decisions. When, when our kids are saying to us, hey, you know what? This is what, this is what my friends are doing, and this is, this is the way we live. And I say, but we're not going to. We're not going to do that. Popular? No. Not at all. But it's what it means to be called out and to, to live our lives for God. So I think it's probably one of the hardest things to do, as well as this last part. Ecclesia, I'm called, called, come out of her, call out of her. Don't be like the world, but be for the world. Okay? That's the other part of this, is it doesn't mean that I just make decisions about what not to do. Okay? What am I making decisions to do? As a, as a family, how am I coming together? As a marriage, how are we coming together and saying, we are going to support these two missionaries in China because we believe the, the message of God has to go out there. But wait a minute, you're going to have to make a sacrifice to do that. Yes, we choose to do that. We are going to, sim- simple Simon, but we are going to go hang some door hangers out and invite people to an egg hunt. To, you're for the world. Right, um, so I think all of that is captured in this this word that you're hearing, this voice in heaven, as as God says, "I'm going to collapse culture. We're going to collapse it. But until that time, here's my voice to you: is come out of it. Don't get even close to it, because it's going to fall, and it's going to fall uh, quickly." So we left we left off kind of there um, uh, last week, and let's let's kind of pick it back up in in verse number five. Six, seven, eight, where God now says, okay, here, here's what's getting ready to happen to this political, cultural machinery that's keeping everything uh, propped up. Verse number five says, for her sins are heaped as high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Uh, throughout, throughout our lives, there are, are just times when we wonder, you know, if God is paying attention. You know, we see these atrocities. Um, I'm reading right now a, a book that I want to introduce um, next week, at least in part, uh, in our, our time together as we, as we look at Islam. And it's a, it's a new book uh, out, out from the Voice of the Martyrs, and it's simply called Are You In? Right? And um, 
on the front cover of the book, they have the uh, Arabic uh, letter for, for the letter, our equivalent letter, in, which for an Islamic stands for Nazarene. You are a follower of the Nazarene. Okay? And so when, when Islamics come into an area like Mosul and they are going to um, uh, o overcome that area, they literally go from door to door and find the homes of those who are Christians and mark them with the red letter N. You are a Nazarene, right? And uh, their intention then is to go to those homes and of course they're going to give those people they're going to give those people a choice. If you're, if you're a Christian, you are, in Islamic eyes, in that category of people that they call the people of the book, right? Um, they believe that your book, the one that you have in front of you, which they call the Injil, is not the true gospel. The true gospel can only be found in the Quran. This is distorted. And so, so the fact that you're a, a people of the book means you at least know the names of the old prophets of Islam, like, like David and Noah and Moses, Islamic prophets, right? So they will give you a chance now to do one of three things if you've been marked with the end. You can either... One, convert. Two, pay a gazelle, a tax. Or three, die. Those are your choices. Well, when you watch that actually take place in real life, the atrocities are beyond description. Um, the, the, the young ladies of, of Mosul dragged out of their homes uh, as an incentive for you to convert. And the Islamic um, soldiers believing that, that we're serving God by now raping your daughters and then forcing them to watch their fathers and brothers be beheaded. I'm serving you well because now I'm, I'm giving you incentive to convert to, to true religion, right? Well, you watch that, and there's part of you, there's part of all of us that looks at this kind of stuff going on, and you think, God, stop this. You can stop this. You know, you can, you can cause this to stop in a moment. Uh, as Jesus hangs on the cross, God, stop it. You can stop it all. That says, no. This is, this is, I've known this from the moment that I made creation. This day would come. These people would die. These atrocities would happen. Have I forgotten a one of them? Well, just look at these words. Her sins are heaped as high as the heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Okay? One of the things that we do when we come together in, in worship and we speak the confession and the absolution, we say now, your sins are forgiven, they're removed as far as the east is from the west. They are forgotten by God, right? They're forgotten because they are hidden in Jesus Christ. The sins of those outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ are remembered by him and God is not just absent in history. He is fully in control. Even in a place like Mosul, he is in control. He is at work. 
and he is achieving his end, and he is saying to John, John, you're going to see these atrocities, but know this, just know this, that I remembered the iniquities of those outside of me who persecute and kill those who belong to me. God remembers their iniquities. In verse 6, he says, pay her back. I will pay her back. As she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. Just as these people have killed and tormented my, my followers, so will they drink of their own cup and be bathed in their, their own blood. Uh, verse 7 to me is, is telling. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Now look at these next words. They're, they're very telling. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. Okay. Um, you know, I look at those words and I think about uh, even our culture here today. Uh, you know, we developed this, this language back in 2008. We said, well, the banks have become too big to what? To fail, right? Did they fail? Oh, yeah. But there's a period of time where everything, the machinery is running and everybody's getting rich and everybody says, guess what? We're too big to fail. Nobody will let this happen. I sit as a queen and I say, I will never see that day of mourning come. God says, oh, yes, you will. I think that when, when God allows little pieces of the machinery to just fall down in front of us, all he's doing is pointing to the fact that there's going to come a day when it will all fall like this. Boom. All of it will crash down. Okay? And when it crashes down, it will not be gradual. Important are these words in verse number 8. For this reason... Her plagues will come in a single day. Death, mourning, famine. She will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Okay? Where, where is John being taken? Well, I, on one hand, you could say he's being taken to that last day when all of it falls, right? And the earth is burned up and we find ourselves now, you know, caught up in the air on judgment day. Uh, but on another hand, there's a sense in which this language describes an event that precedes the judgment day, okay? That there's a recognition on the part of human beings on earth that this machinery that's given everybody confidence collapses, and all of a sudden, now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? And I, my suggestion is that when it, when it talks about this single day, it's talking about some event that precipitates that half a time, that period of time during which there is, is tremendous chaos on planet Earth because all of the machinery that we've used to support ourselves and to make us feel like we're in control and everything is good, all of it is just in a moment crashed down, right? So for me, it's kind of interesting, um, and I have to be careful when I, when I share this with you uh, to say it properly. It's interesting for me to read some of the, the theories that people have relative to what, what is it? What is that event that precipitates this period that we would call the half a time? And the honest truth is no one really knows. No one knows. 
The indicators to me as you go throughout the whole of the book of Revelation are that it's some event that causes the economic machinery and the political machinery of this world to fail instantaneously. Nobody has an answer for this, okay? What is this? Well, you know, um, and, and again, I'll, I'm going to try to unpack a little bit more of this uh, through this, this Islamic study, but one of the most interesting books I've read probably this year was written by, you know, one of my, my favorite news guys, old Ted Koppel. And uh, Ted is a, is a journalistic investigator, right, and, and quite skilled at it. So when he writes this book, it's entitled Lights Out, he, uh, he's, he's doing his best work as a, as a journalist. And he's going out and he's interviewing people. And, and arguably, when you read the book, he does a great job of saying, of being honest and saying, look, I, I'm going I'm to report to you the facts as I've discovered them through, through multiple interviews. And he, he does a great job of detailing in his notes here's who i've interviewed here's when here's my documentation on this when you read the book what you have even here in america are a lot of people in positions where they they ought to be paying attention to our infrastructure and are not okay and 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 so you've got all of these folks who are saying is our infrastructure is it is it vulnerable well, at the highest level, your politicians want to say what? Nope. It's going to be fine. Can't get to us. Okay. People who actually are, are working in the industries that uh, relate to our infrastructure, and particularly our energy infrastructure, will say, um, no, we are vulnerable. And um, so I'm turning on the news this week, this last week, and what do we find? We find, whoops, these hackers get into this energy system overseas. They use sophisticated devices that basically use, use algorithms to, to trick the machinery that causes... Uh, our fail-safes to go in place long enough that when the energy system collapses, bam, it goes down. And you are not bringing that thing back online overnight or in a day. And when you read Ted's book, he says, what we could experience here in America are major power shutdowns that last not days, not weeks, months, and potentially years. And so you've got a big scramble going on right now. The political system goes, whoosh, don't say anything about it. It's going to scare people. I'm looking at it like, duh. Um, yeah. So you start to shut the energy system down. Guess what starts to fail? If you and your house could not get energy, electricity, for two months, how would that affect your life? How do you pay your bills? And some of us still write them out. Some of you are like, push it. How do you get your information? Where do you get it from? Oh, excuse me, where's your 401k3? Where, where, where's all your, your retirement money? Where's it stored? In the what? Did you say the cloud? Is that a good place for it? 
Okay? So you start looking at this stuff and you're like, um, guess what? How would you potentially in one day precipitate through one event something that would collapse, literally collapse, the ability of the machinery economically and politically to answer the question? It's not hard to do. And are there people working at it? Absolutely. Committed to work at it? Listen, just read the 20-year plan of, of Islamics, only Islamics, not to mention the Asians. And what you have is you have people who get up and go to work every day, and they go to these nondescript buildings, and their entire life is dedicated to bring down the infrastructure that makes us feel secure. If I told you tomorrow, we don't know where your retirement money is. If I told you, in fact, we don't know where your bank money is. Like we don't know where anything is. Are those cards you carry around that you're used to paying? They're no good anymore because they don't work. Would that change your life? Significantly. Okay. So what I'm trying to paint a picture of is not, let's go scare everybody. But what I do want to say is, when you read this, is this just fanciful illusions that some guy made up sitting on an island called Patmos? No. This is a word from God to John to say to human beings, you probably won't be able to figure out how this is going to happen. And I'm not going to try to. But it's very interesting to me to, to note that could it happen today? Absolutely. And now you precipitate this period of time that we would call the half a time. In a single day, death, mourning, and famine, she'll be burned up with fire. Mighty is Lord God who who judged her. Ultimately, not only does the machinery fail, but it is burned up with the rest of the earth. Verse number nine says, the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her. Always remember sexual immorality is what? It's, it's spiritual adultery, right? So the kings of the earth who have set themselves up as king, thus spiritual adultery. They've lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her, her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas. Kind of interesting. When this is being written, <clears throat> remember that um, uh, Nero and, and ultimately Domitian, Domitian are, are emperors in, in Rome. Under, under Nero... Remember, part, part of what caused his fall was not only the fact that he was like an insane person who completely destroyed the economy of Rome, but under his watch during that period of time that he reigned, Rome came under extreme drought and began to catch on fire. And so there's, there's kind of an illusion here being made that <clears throat> these kings of the earth that committed spiritual adultery with her now wail when they see the smoke of her burning. Well, when this is being written, Domitian now is, is the emperor, but the, the smoke is still, so to speak, in the air. Rome, Rome is now uh, vulnerable. And all of those who've said Rome is our answer, they're our ally, they're the ones, now are now doing what? Backing away going, eh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I made myself a little note. I don't know, when you were back in high school, um, did, you, did you have like names that you gave to groups of people we had names we had i mean you, you kind of were in a group right if you were a jock you like football player whatever kind of a deal if you were a um a kicker 
Well, in, in Texas, a kicker was a cowboy, right? Because you had your boots. And I'm not going to mention what you kicked. <laughs> Get your big belt, belt buckle in your hat. And they had real kickers and fake kickers. The real kickers, you know, you could always tell because they didn't really care what people thought about them. The fake kickers were like just kind of walking around with their hats on. Then we had roaches. Roaches were the marijuana smokers. Yeah, they didn't do so good in school, you know. I mean, but but that's what that's what they were. Um, <clears throat> well, I always remember. I just made myself this now. I just remember there's this one guy. This one guy that was was. I mean, he drew people to himself. He was um, a, a major, however you call it, black belt in karate, right? And so from time to time, people he. He'd challenge somebody and he'd fight him. And I mean, he was fast and he, people would gather around him. So, so he kind of had an entourage and they'd walk around. You know, like. So one day he, he actually comes up to this guy. This guy was a kicker. He was a real cowboy. He challenges him. He says, hey, I'm, I'd like to fight you. This guy says, all right. So I mean, the whole school will all pull out there. And um, that cowboy just standing there. And this guy's like, oh, oh, oh. that cowboy goes, boom. He goes, <laughs> cowboy goes, walks off. And I noticed this is what happened. They all, everybody started to kind of back away like, yeah, we don't need to be around that guy anymore. <laughs> the big bad Rome is no longer big and bad, right? Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon in a single hour, boom, your judgment has come. I think when, <clears throat> when the half a time is precipitated, if we're alive, if it's during our lifetime, There'll be a part of us that recognizes that um, God's at work. Politicians won't, okay? This, to me, is politician language. I told them. I tried to get my, my word across. There'll be people who actually try to lift themselves up as they back away from what's going on. You and I will observe what's going on and say, guess what? This is the beginning of the end, if we're alive. Verse 11 and following to me is, um, is telling. And um, I just want you to listen, listen carefully to what is being described here, okay? Verse 11 says, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore with a can't. They can't buy it, okay? Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of ivory, articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil. Let me just stop there. Let me just put a period there. What's being described here? All of these things are what? Necessary for life? No, they're luxuries, right? Today, if we were filling in the, the words here, we probably wouldn't say cinnamon and scented wood and that. What would we say? What are, what's luxury today? An iPhone? <laughs> All right. What would you say? What, what, if I pick up the Rob report today and I start reading it, what's luxury today? What does it look like? A yacht. A yacht, yeah, a big, beautiful yacht, all right? 
house. I mean, here's a house in the mountains, overlooking the mountains, or overlooking the ocean. You know, it's it's luxury today, right? Cars, cars. Depends on your economical status. All of us are being appealed to what? To to get a little bit of luxury in your life, down down to the the smallest of us, economically speaking. Okay. Um, I I don't know if you guys know this. I drive a luxury car. It's a Jeep. Um, I've been trying to get it to evolve for a lot of years because these evolutionists tell me we, we all evolved. I'm trying to get my Jeep to evolve into a Hummer and it won't do it. <laughs> like, okay. All of this stuff is luxury. It's all luxury. I put a period there on purpose. I put a period there on purpose because I want you to go back and I want you to look at some words that we've already looked at and then I'm, then I'm going to take the period away and we'll finish the rest of this verse. Go back. Go all the way back to chapter 6, verse 6. Okay? Chapter 6, verse 6. So I want to make a point here. We've kind of already seen this before. Right? Early on in the Revelation. When the first seals are being broken and we're in that first cycle, right? Revelation is cycles. So we're in that first cycle and the, the, the seven seals are being broken up. The first, the first seal gets broken and what happens? These four living creatures come out and they're horses, the four horsemen. And remember the first one was the, the white horse as we would call it religion. Now we've learned from, you know, from chapter six as we've moved forward, we've learned that that white horse called religion is one of the beasts of Satan works under Satan. The second, the second horse uh, that, that rides out um, is the bright red horse, permitted to take peace from the earth. So people will slay one another, kill one another. Guess what we've learned now that we've made it to the 18th chapter of Revelation that in that half a time period, as the beasts start to collapse, people will come against one another. Um, it's one of the great fears right now of the Mormon church. Uh, the Mormon church, more so than any other entity on planet Earth, is preparing for the last time. Um, they have warehouses that would make Sam, Sam Walton blush that are packed full of what they need to survive that last time. You know what their greatest fear is, the Mormons? How do we protect it? Because in those last times, people will come against it. They will fight us. They will try to take it from us. People will slay one another. He opened the third seal, and there's a black horse. Its rider came with a pair of scales in his hands. Now remember the voice. What does it say? It says, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So this is early in the Revelation. We're told there's coming that period of time. There will be periods of time where natural, natural resources, the things that you need to live, become very expensive. You can't get them. Whereas the luxuries are unharmed. You can get all of them you want, but you don't need them. When you can't get food and water and, and, and air, all of a sudden, a yacht doesn't look so good. You're like, I don't need a yacht. I need to drink some water, right? 
And so already this, this horse, this black horse with the scales in its hand says, there's, there's going to be, what do scales do? They either balance or they imbalance. He's saying there's going to be imbalances on planet Earth of the natural resources and the luxuries to the degree that the natural resources suffer. And so as we study history, we're able to say, look, that was Rome when Rome went through its drought. If we go back into the Old Testament and we study the whole story of the Egyptian captivity and then, and then Joseph's role in leading, in leading Israel you know, uh, at a time of, of what? Great drought. People couldn't get the natural resources. Who cares about the luxury? We don't care about it, okay? So don't harm the oil and the wine. Leave the luxuries alone. By the time we get to Revelation 18, now guess what happens? Go back over there. Now these luxuries, they don't mean anything at all, right? What's happening to the things that we need the most? Well, let's take the period away. After the word oil is what? Fine flour. Wheat. Cattle. Sorry, Mike. Sheep. Horses. And chariots. Ooh, my goodness gracious. Now guess what's going under? Now we have, I don't need those luxuries and these natural resources. I can't get them. They're hard to get. No wonder people are slaying one another for them. I can't get them. The things that I need to eat, the things that I need to live, I can't get. And then this last part is the most intriguing to me. And slaves, that is human souls. And I looked at that word in the Greek, and it is the word tsuke, souls. Well, this is sad to me, but true. If I asked you today in the marketplace, in the marketplace, if you were to identify one of the wealthiest, <clears throat> fastest, you know, growing industries in the world today, it is sexual slavery. It's the marketing of human beings. And so we are living in a world today where, as Americans, we say, well, we got rid of slavery a long time ago. I'm like, they not even touched it. In fact, it's growing so fast you can't stop it. Human beings, souls, created by God, created by Jesus and for Jesus, turned into merchandise. And does God forget that? No. Her sins stink to the highest of heavens. Her iniquities shall be remembered. And guess what? Your sexual slavery... Who gives a flip about your sexual slavery? Because guess what? You can't even get food to eat. You can't even get air to breathe. And now all of a sudden the world looks really, really different. God is at work. Now I'm just going to show you this and then I will close up. I think this is the most, this is just so interesting. Verse 14. I don't know how your text translates it, but here's, here's the way it reads in mine. ESB says, The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. All of your delicacies, your splendors are lost to you and they will never, ever be found again. The fruit for which your soul longed. It's a play on words, but you'll never see it in the English. Is that how your text translates it? The fruit for which your soul longed. Okay, here's the play on words that's going on that's just very, very interesting to me. You've got to go back to the garden. You've got to go back to the tree. And um, <clears throat> there's fruit on the tree, right? 
And what does God say to Adam and Eve? You can eat of all of the, the fruits in this garden, but do not eat of this fruit. Okay? And they eat of that fruit. And um, God comes back into the garden. Of course, he's known from before he created them what would happen. And he says, okay, you've eaten of this fruit. Here's, here's what's going to happen is now there'll be this, this angst on earth until I come again and restore it. I, I, however, am going to provide for you. Covers them with the skin of a dead animal. He says, here's what I'm going to provide you with. I'm going to provide you with a seed. I'm going to provide you with a seed that it will be a person that will come that will crush this enemy of death and sin once and for all. Okay. The word for seed in Greek is Spora. Now, here's what's interesting. Verse 14, when you read it in English, it says, the fruit for which your soul longed. In Greek, it says this, the spora for which your, your soul longed. Human beings, apart from Jesus Christ, long for a different seed. We don't want your seed. We don't need your promise. We don't need you to be a God in our life. We're gods ourselves. We've set ourselves up that way. If you live that way, I don't need God. I'm my own God. You're seeking a different seed, the seed of man. And under that seed, you will fall and you will taste the full wrath of God. And that play on words is going on here when he says, the seed for which your soul longed now has gone from you. Now what you thought would bring you peace and what you thought would bring you wealth and happiness and security, it's gone and it is never, ever coming back. Here's one of the problems. In the world, not of the world. I turn on HGTV. Well, actually, Ann turns it on. I turn on ESPN. She turns on HGTV. So the HGTV people come on, and they got this show, and it's uh, called House Hunters. And here's this young couple. It's their first house. They're going to buy their very first house. And I'm thinking back to when we bought our very first house. We had just moved into Wisconsin. You know, we were, we were living in a um, duplex. I had told Anna, I said, look what God's provided us for. This duplex is a beautiful place. And this <clears throat> realtor who was part of our congregation says, you should, be, you should look at houses. I said, oh, no, I could never buy a house. I, I would never be able to do that. So you should look. And uh, it took probably a few months before we decided, okay, well, okay, we'll go with you to look. We were standing in this home. It was too ex I said, I can't buy this. This is too expensive a home. Looked down on the kitchen table. There was a little sheet. I went, where's this house? Just down the street. Went down the street, knocked on the door, um, went inside this place, and it was absolutely what you and I today would call a fixer-upper. Like every, everywhere you looked was fix it up, right? I'm thinking to myself, my goodness gracious. Ann says, I love it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you do? Yes. Okay, we're going to be fixing up a lot of things. Okay. There was nothing in me in that moment that said, but I, I, I need to have this, I need to have this, I need to have this. And it was just, you know what? If God is going to give us this place, oh, what an incredible blessing. And for the next six years, Anne, Anne fixed it up. 
I cleaned, I cleaned up, she fixed up. Okay, so I'm watching this show and it's these, this young couple, it's their very first house. We don't like this, this is not enough room here. This, you know what, we should have granite, we, we need to have granite tops here, we can't have these kind of tops here. So, now, I look at that and what do I think? Well, I'm not angry with that couple. They're part of our culture today. And our culture has, has lifted up luxuries little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit that have become what? An expectation in our lives. And we don't even know it. And very subtly, this beast, economic beast, is at work in our lives to the degree that we, we don't follow Jesus Christ. We don't follow him. We follow the ways of the culture. We say, yes, I follow Jesus Christ. Yes, I go to church. I'm like, no, 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 no. God, Jesus Christ didn't call you to go to church. He called you ecclesia to be the church. People called out of this culture, living your life for people who don't know him. Oh, well, can, can I just go to church? Sure. It's Christo-paganism, right? I mean, it, you feel, it makes you feel good, but it's not what he called us to. And so when I look at these words and, I, and I, I look at that, the fruit for which your soul longs. And one of the things that I think this, this word means to me, XL today, come out of it, is looking at our, what does my soul desire? Does my soul desire the stuff of this world more than the relationship that Jesus wants me to have with him? And if I'm honest, there's a part of me that goes, oh, wow, this is hard, God. And so when God is at work in us, this is what he's doing. He's putting to death the desires that we have, raising up new desires. I'll close this way. I'm looking at two little kids that are going to grow up. And I think, oh, in a culture that will just seek to deceive you and deceive you and deceive you slowly, just subtly. And you can, I'm gonna, I'll, be, I'll go to church. No, I don't want that for you. I want you to be a one who is called out. Many are chosen. Many are, many are, are called for your chosen on that day that will come there will be fear that will stand that are ecclesia the ones called out and uh, I look at these words and they are a call to the church I think they're a dramatic call to the church help the people of the body come out of this culture and live differently live in Jesus Christ because this day will come and it may come soon let's pray Lord God as we uh...